welcome back. It is good to see you. How you been? Hello. What's going on, Tyron? Good to see you. Man, it, I feel like it's been like two months. It's been way too long. I, I, I have missed worshiping with you. I have missed opening God's word with you. I've just missed seeing you. So it is, uh, it's good to be back. Uh, we are kicking off, as you've heard multiple times, this new summer series called Quarter Life Crisis uh, because most of the conversations that we have with young adults, whether it's here at the gathering, whether it's in Sunday school or over coffee or lunch, is usually wrapped around this kind of thing is that we're in this season of life that's like, what's going on? Is this what it is? This what it is? is this it? Right, all, all those feelings that come up. And so um, I wanna take you back just a few years, uh, actually eight years ago, um, to a moment in time that some of you may be familiar with. Maybe you haven't walked through the, the home buying process yet. Uh, but let me, let me give you a little, little clue on what it's like. So we were looking at this house. We were on, you know, online looking at houses, and they all look amazing, right? The pictures are perfect. Uh, the living room looks amazing. Anyway, we, we, if, if you don't know who I am, my name is Andy, sorry, but we got lots of kids, and so we needed a, a bigger house, um, preferably one with a big yard so they could be outside the house. And so we found this one particular house, and we drove by it, and it looked great. The flowers outside were beautiful. Um, which I know probably only existed the day before they put it on the market. Because if I was selling a house, that's what I would do. I will get new mulch and new flowers and make it all look pretty the day before we listed it. But here's the deal. We loved it so much that we decided, you know what? We're gonna put an offer on this house. We want this to be our future home. And so we put the offer in, waited patiently, crossed fingers, prayed about it, and they accepted our offer. The house was going to be ours. And so when you do that, then the next step is you send what you call, an, an, have an inspection, all right? And, and this is where you hire somebody, usually a, about a 65-year-old man who knows everything about everything in that house. And they're the inspector, and they go in, and they start turning all the knobs, flipping all the switches, running all the sinks, flushing all the toilets. They do everything. They get on the roof, look at the, at the shingles to make sure that this house is okay to buy. And so this day came, we were crossing our fingers and we got the phone call and it was not the phone call we wanted. Everything in the house was great except one thing. One thing was wrong and it's the one thing that you don't wanna hear when you're buying a house. You see, he had looked on the inside and everything was great, Looked on the top and everything was great. And he was walking around the outside and that's when he realized, oh no, we have a problem. Because the bricks were separating. There were cracks down the side of the house on the, on the two back corners of the house. And if you haven't bought a house or you're not in this world, this is what it means. It means your foundation is messed up. And that's a big deal. Because when your foundation is messed up, it starts to slowly mess up everything else because your house starts to literally crack in half. And the back side of the house was starting to sink into the ground. And so those cracks right now, they weren't a big deal. Everything was, seemed fine, but over time, what would happen is all the doors and the windows would stop working and they would get jammed because it's no longer true. Water would start getting into those cracks and mold would start growing. And eventually, if you let it go long enough, your house would would literally collapse. And so we got that phone call and we were like, man, what are we gonna do? Because that's a big deal. 
It's not like you just throw some paint on it and we'll, we're good. Like it's an invasive process. And that phone call made us pause. It made us feel uneasy. It made us feel nervous. It, it, it brought up a lot of questions. What do we do? Should we do it? How much is it gonna cost? All, the, all these questions started coming. We had this, this feeling of being like, oh no, we're, in, we're, we're into something and it's not what we thought it was gonna be, oh no. And that is the feeling of the quarter life crisis. We've gotten into something, we've arrived to a certain point in our life and we're like, oh no, this is not what I thought it was gonna be. Things aren't happening as fast or in the order in which I think they should be happening. I'm not getting paid as much as I want. I'm not doing the job that I went to school for. I'm certainly not dating the person that I thought I would be dating by now, right? All of the things start to, to happen. And what happens in those moments is we get that anxiety comes up, that nervousness of like, oh no, what's wrong? This isn't right. Well, this idea of a quarter life crisis is that sense, that feeling when we start seeing the cracks of the life that we have built this far. And usually those cracks go down to a foundation and that's where they come from. Those feelings of tension, anxiety, and nervousness. But here's the thing, this idea of quarter life crisis is not just something we came up with. People are actually studying this phenomenon. Maybe you've grown up hearing midlife crisis, right? I'm closer to that one. Let's just be honest, that's who I am. Like that's, like, that's what we do, right? Like when you, when you hit a certain age, uh, especially men specifically are, are known to hit the midlife crisis. They go spend money on things that when they're 20s they couldn't afford and they think, well now that I'm this old and I've got this much money, I'll go buy that thing and it will make me happy. You see, this is not any different. But you guys live in a day and time where there's a lot more information, there's a lot more comparison, and so all of a sudden the anxiety rises. That I should be somewhere different than what I am right now. Relationally, emotionally, vocationally, in every way. But Bradley University actually did a study on this, and here's their definition of a, of a quarter-life crisis. They, they said, similar to a midlife crisis, the quarter-life crisis is a period of uncertainty and questioning that typically occurs when people feel trapped, uninspired, anxious, confused, or delusioned during their mid-20s to early 30s. Do you hear those words? Trapped, uninspired, anxious, confused, disillusioned. Anybody resonate a little bit? Ever, ever had that moment over lunch where you're like, what am I doing? Is this really what I, like, this is the direction of my life? This is a normal thing. In fact, LinkedIn, right, that, the website you know, that all the business people use, they studied this. And they found that like, you're not alone in this situation. We're not alone. 75% of 25 to 33 year olds have experienced a quarter life crisis. That means three out of every four of you most likely are in a season where you feel trapped, uninspired, anxious, confused, or disillusioned. And so what does our faith have to do with this? What is our faith in Jesus? Where, where does this play a part? And that's why we wanna do this series. We wanna take eight weeks, June and July, and walk through different topics and look at God's word and say, what does God's word have to do and speak to this season of our lives? And every other week from this point forward, we're gonna build on tonight because we are, we're talking about a foundation. What are you building? How are you building it? And on whom or what are you building it? 
Because here's the worst thing that can happen. The worst thing is that when you get to the end of your life, you realize you've built on the wrong house. You've done all this work, you've spent all this time, you've invested so much emotion, so much energy, and you realize, oh no, this is the wrong house. This is not going to last. And so tonight, we're gonna look in the fact that Jesus is the foundation we need and that we actually want. But most of us don't even know it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter seven. That's where we're gonna be tonight. And if you're familiar with Matthew 7, this is the very last section of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. He has spent two chapters of Matthew going over a ton of information. And when he gets to this point, Matthew 7, 24 through 27, in essence, Jesus is saying this, you've heard what I've said, now you are responsible for what you've heard and you must make a choice. Let me say that again. Jesus is saying you are now responsible. You've heard what I've said. Now you're responsible for what you've heard and must make a choice. And Jesus closes this sermon with a parable. And a parable is simply an illustration that comes alongside a spiritual truth. It's not actually about the story. It's actually pointing to a spiritual truth. So he starts out, Therefore, stop. What do we do when we see the word therefore? We ask, what is the therefore, therefore? Because he's, not, he's, not refer, he's referring to something else. Jesus is referring to everything that he has just said. Let me give you a little snapshot of the entire Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talks about the culture and the kingdom of God in the Beatitudes. He talks about the purpose that we have on our lives as followers of Jesus being salt and light in the world. He points out that Jesus himself, he is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. He talks about anger and murder and lust and adultery, marriage, divorce, remarriage, revenge, loving your enemies, money and greed, giving to the needy, prayer, worry, anxiety, judgment, salvation, false prophets, and then he gets to the foundation. And so when he says, therefore, what he's saying is, I've talked about all of these things. You've heard what I've just said. And Jesus says, therefore, here's the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, therefore, because of what I've just said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had, its foundation was on the rock. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who has built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Jesus is giving us a parable and he shows us two guys, two guys. There are three similarities and there are three differences and that's what we're gonna look at tonight. 
We're gonna look at this text and we're gonna look at the, the, the similarities and then we're gonna look at their differences and we're gonna internalize this and say, all right, what does this mean for me? Okay? So let's read this one more time. We can't read scripture enough, so here we go. We're gonna read, I want this to soak in. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But when everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a fool who built his house on the sand, the rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. My first point tonight with our foundation crisis is number one, hearing Jesus does not mean following Jesus. Hearing Jesus does not mean following Jesus, right? Because that's the similarity. The wise and the fool, they both heard. They both heard the exact same thing. We hear lots of things, don't we? I mean, heck, we're even coming out with a podcast. we're, we're, We're listening to lots of stuff. You guys listen to podcasts, you listen to music, you listen to all kinds of stuff, so do I. We have all kinds of voices in our ear. These influences that we listen to, whether it's podcasts or friends or parents or music or TV shows or talking heads or politicians or celebrities, whoever it is, We have all these voices telling us to chase this and find that and get more of this and build your life like this and on this and around this and get more and do better. And there's all kinds of voices. But Jesus says, when you hear the words of who? My words. My words. When you hear these words of mine, and put them into practice. You will be like a wise man who built your house on the rock. But everyone who hears, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a fool who built his house on sand. It dawns on me that the deciding factor when we hear something, because we, we hear things all the time. We do, we hear commercials like, like <laughs> this is probably, this, I didn't practice this earlier, but this is a funny story that just came to my mind. <laughs> When we watch TV, my kids, like if you don't think advertising works, come watch TV with my family, okay? When it's commercial break time, there's an unspoken competition that happens literally every commercial break. Who is the first one that can shout out the product that is about to be pitched? Toyota, right? Like, I mean, like, and they get it right every time. They are listening, right? But here's the thing. When do you act on what you've heard? What is the deciding factor? There's a lot of factors, but really, what does it come down to? It's not just what you want, right? That's not the deciding factor, that's a factor. I would argue that the deciding factor on whether we act on what we hear is whether we can trust who is speaking. If we don't trust them, we're not gonna do what they say. If we don't trust them, we're not gonna eat the food they're trying to sell us. If we don't trust them, we're not gonna buy that car. And so then it comes down to this fact. Do you trust Jesus? 
Do you trust Jesus? Because here's the reality, is most of the sources that we listen to, they're not trustworthy. They don't want something for you, they want something from you. But Jesus only wants things for you. He wants you to have life and life to the full. He wants you to have forgiveness from the guilt and shame of sin and the shackles that come with it. He wants to set you free from the sin that has caught you. He doesn't want anything from you. I grew up believing he just wants things from me. But most of the voices we hear, they just want our attention, they want our time, they want our money, and they want our affection. They want something from us, and so we, it's hard to trust. But Jesus' is love, and we, if you haven't heard this last series that we did this last spring called God Is, go back and listen. We spent nine weeks telling you who God is, and one of the ones I loved was that God is trustworthy. Romans 5.8, Paul says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. I'll promise you there's not one Instagram influencer that will die for you. There is not one executive of an ad agency that will die for you. They just want your money. They want your time and attention so that their bank account goes up. Jesus died for you. He said, this is my love. First Peter the apostle Peter writes, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is Peter, guys. The one who denied Christ, stared Jesus in the face, and Jesus said, I love you, feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Then go feed my sheep. Peter looked eye to eye to the savior that he denied. And he is the one saying, but he cares for you. Why, because Peter knows that Jesus cared for him. And then Jesus himself says in John 10, 10, I have come to give, not something from you, something for you. I've come to give you life and life to the full. Jesus is a generous savior. Jesus came, says, come follow me. He says, come to me when you're weary and burdened. And here he's saying, build your life on me. The difference that we see in these two guys is their response. That's the difference. They both heard the words, but their response is different. One acted on what he heard and one didn't. And Jesus does not mince words here. He's, he says one is wise and one is the fool. Here's a definition of wisdom of the wise man. Wisdom is the ability and willingness to apply the words of Jesus' life or Jesus to life circumstances. Wisdom is the ability and the willingness to apply the words of Jesus to life circumstances. A fool, foolishness, is the opposite. The inability and or the unwillingness to apply Jesus' words to life's realities. Now, when I look at my life, I know which one I am the majority of the time. I'm the fool. Because I'm pretty capable I'm just unwilling. I just don't want to. I think I know better. My timeline's better. That's one of the most wonderful mysteries of the Bible. You, you will not find in the Bible which job to take. You will not find in the Bible what, how much money to give away. But here's the great thing is, is, is Jesus invites us into the mystery of God. 
And the mystery of God is that God often, almost always, works differently than you think he should. That's the mystery. And he invites us into the mystery. And so Jesus is the foundation that we need and actually want because he is trustworthy. We, he knows you, he loves you, and he cares for you. But Jesus says it is not just the hearing that, but putting it into practice that builds a wise and firm foundation. It's not just hearing. Let's read it again. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. So my second point tonight on this foundation crisis is choose your foundation intentionally and carefully. Choose your foundation intentionally and carefully. You see the similarities here is they're both building a house. Right, first they, they heard, they both heard, and Jesus says they're both building. That's the similarity. And here's the truth, and, and, and we connect here, because you are building. Every single one of us in this room is building a life. You're doing it right now. Every day, every week, every moment, you're building your life with every decision you make. Here's the truth, you will be who you are now becoming. Who you want to be in five years, do that now. And that's who you will be. You are who you are becoming. And so you are building a life. Don't buy the lie in this season of your life that your life will begin when this happens or this happens. Well, well when I get that job and when I get that paycheck and when I move to the city I actually want to live in, when I actually meet that person, I got a ring on my finger, that's when my life will begin. Those are lies that allow us to excuse and often destroy our lives because we think, well, it doesn't really matter yet. My life hasn't begun. It has. You will be who you are now becoming. And the reality of it is, is we are gonna build our lives on something, whether it is intentional or not. How scary is that? Think about that for a second. You are going to build a life, whether you do it intentionally or unintentionally. One, you will just drift and follow every desire and insecurity and fear, and you, so you will build a life built on insecurity and fear and desire and urges. Or we can intentionally and carefully say, I'm going to choose my foundation, and I'm going to choose the people I hang out with, and I'm gonna choose the things I watch, I'm gonna choose the things I listen to, I'm gonna choose what to do with my money, I'm gonna choose carefully and intentionally. Because what we end up doing is we treat life a lot like Zillow. You guys ever spend time on Zillow? Anybody? Just to see how ridiculous prices are? I'm one of my favorite Instagram accounts that my wife and I follow is like Zillow Gone Wild. You know, it is crazy time. People do some crazy stuff to their house. It's fantastic. But here's the deal. Here's why Zillow is so fun. Because we get to look at a house at its best. It's the best. 
They make it look good, they decorate everything, they clean everything, and then they take great pictures that are not real with lenses that make the rooms look 10 times bigger than they actually are, right? That's what they do. But our tendency is to say, you know what? I'm gonna build the curb appeal of my life. That's what I'm gonna focus on. I'm gonna be intentional about the projection of my life instead of actually working and focusing on the foundation of my life. This is the essence of social media, is that we're projecting the curb appeal. Look at my life. Look how wonderful it is. Look where I get to work. Look where I went this weekend. Listen to the concert I got to go to. Here's the reality. I know people right now in my life whose Instagram page is gorgeous, but I know them, and they hate their life. They hate it. They don't want to be doing what they're doing. But you look at their, 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 their page, and it looks like, man, they're, they're living the dream. And so what we do is we get caught up in the curb appeal and we forget about the foundation. That's what actually matters. That's real. And the thing is, is our culture cares almost exclusively about the curb appeal, how we look, and completely overlook the foundation. Like, the, like right there, that could be an entire, that could be a dating talk. That could be a career talk. That could be a friend message, right? That our culture almost exclusively thinks about the appearance versus what's actually making you tick. What actually drives you, what's important to you? How have you built the foundation of your life? Proverbs 14, 12 talks to this idea of our culture. There's a way that appears right, but in the end it leads to death. There is a way that appears, meaning it's easy, it's quick, it's comfortable, it's convenient, it's easier to do, and it's quicker. There's a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. The difference here is the foundation choice, right? The similarity is that they're both building a house. The difference is the, is the foundation material. They chose a different foundation. The wise man heard Jesus' words and acted on them. That is, he built on a foundation of the rock. It's not just hearing, it's acting. And he chose, that is the rock I want to build on. And to be honest, to build your life on the rock of Jesus, it is going to be a little bit slower process. It is going to be a little bit more difficult. You know why? Because sand is a lot lighter. It's a lot more comfortable. It feels way better on the toes. That's what it is. Like, look under your feet right now. Look under your feet. That is, that is a concrete rock floor. It is solid. That thing ain't moving unless you bring a jackhammer and a backhoe in here. Like, it's not gonna move. But the fool heard Jesus' words, the exact same thing as the wise man, and he did not act on them. He chose to build it on sand. And I got a little bucket here. And sand, oh man, look at that. It, it's cool to the touch. It's not hard, right? Gonna put my toes in the water, my can in the sand. Like, I mean, come on. Like, that, that, the sand is the best, this is vacation right here. This is vacation. No one goes to vacation to lie on the rocks because it's hard, but it's stable and secure. 
sand, you give a little rainstorm and boom. That th- I mean, I could take a hose up here and get rid of this real quick. I could hose that floor for years and it would do nothing. But here's the reality, is this sand. Like here, when I was thinking about this, this is what, what dawned on me, is most of sand is actually tiny rocks and glass, right? It's just really, really tiny rocks. But here's what we like to do, is we like to get the sand, the things in this world that are important to us, like power and comfort and convenience and pleasure, and money and influence, and we like to smash them together because we wanna make the tiny little rocks the rock. But here's the reality, is this can hold no weight, none whatsoever. When you build a sandcastle, when you build build a sandcastle at the beach, it may look gorgeous, but as soon as some little kid runs by, it's gone. Because sand cannot carry the weight of anything, let alone build your life on it. That's why Jesus uses this example. The wise build their house on a rock. We're packing sand, trying to make it sturdy to build our life on. We're trying to, the curb appeal is sand. And ultimately, when I think about this, here's what I think. It's the American dream that we try and build our lives on. It's the make more money, have a spouse and two kids and a white picket fence and vacation three or four times a year on the beach, in the mountains, and everything will be great. That's when we'll be happy, but here's the deal, the storms will come. And that American dream that we try and build our life on actually becomes a nightmare because sand doesn't hold any weight, let alone the storms of life. Your sandcastle may look amazing, but as soon as the storm comes, it's gone. The psalmist in Psalm chapter one, the very first psalm in the very first, the second and third verse says, blessed or happy is he whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. It's the same idea. Whether you're gonna use a house example or planting yourself next to streams of living water, you will bear fruit from where you plant yourself. One of my favorite pastors to to read is a guy named Tony Evans. He says it this way, if you want stability in your personal life, your family, your ministry, your community, you need the strong, sturdy foundation of God's word which includes, just like Jesus said, which includes both the knowledge of the Bible and applying it to life. What I did for so long through my college years and my early young adult years is I would live vicariously through other people's faith. They would experience something. They would read something. I'd be like, amen, that's so true. Right, for, for, for this generation, it's like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna follow a podcast or a, an Instagram feed and I'm gonna read that verse, like, oh, that's my faith. Living vicariously through someone else's personal relationship with Jesus is sand. It's sand. Because when you don't have 
the knowledge of who God is, how he works, when the storms come, you get washed away with the storm. Jesus is the foundation that we need and actually want because he offers true stability and is the one in whom we can have confidence to never leave us or be blown away by the storms. He's the one that calms the storms. Let's read again. Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had, it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. My third point tonight in the foundation crisis is hold tight to Jesus in the storms. Because here's the similarity of these two, these two people. They both experienced the storm. A storm hit both houses. Jesus doesn't promise a storm or trial, a, tr a trial free life. In fact, in many ways, following Jesus will probably mean more storms and more trials because of the culture and the times in which we live. Where truth is, is an offensive comment. I love, I love this, this idea that Jesus does not promise, if you follow me, it will get easy. If you follow me, you'll get whatever you want. If you follow me, I'll do whatever you need me to do. He is no genie in a bottle. He is the Lord and Savior, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In first and second Samuel refers to God as the, the Lord of armies. He's no one's fool. But the storms come. Many of you in this room that I know have been through significant storms. If you're new to the gathering, you probably don't know this about me, but about four years ago, I went through some massive storms in my life. Lost both parents within two years in their early mid-60s, way too young. That was a storm in my life. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know up from down. I was mad at God. I was crying out to God. I was pleading with him and then worshiping him and then being mad at him again. And then one of my mentors, after my funeral of my mother, he called me into his office here at the church, a man I greatly respect, and I was thinking, okay, he's gonna call me in, he's gonna check on me, see how I'm doing. Hand me some empathy, give me some compassion. Right, and be like, Andy, it's gonna be okay. We're with you, we're, we're gonna walk with you through this. I love this man to death. But he asked me a question that honestly took me back. I was like, whoa, what kind of question is that in this season of my life? Here's the question he asked me. He said, Andy, what if life doesn't get any better than this? I don't think he was trying in any way to be like, wah, wah, Andy, we're gonna rain on your already big storm. Like, I don't think that's what he was doing. I think he was trying to get through the grief and through the pain and through the confusion to get to this 
same point. That in the storms you cling to Jesus because there will be more storms. What if the situation doesn't improve? It might, but that's just kind of the world we live in in America. Grass is greener. Things will always get better, right? What if they don't? And I sat with that question. I thought, you know what? I've got two, my, my, my father and mother-in-law are still alive. There'll be a day where we attend their funerals. I've got five kids. There's probably some pain coming my way at some point. Maybe a decision they make that just breaks my heart. They do something that scares me to death. Like, I don't know. Dude, I'm an Enneagram six. That's why I like security. I like certainty. So this question rocked me to the core. Because I want to know if things are going to be okay. But he said, Andy, what if nothing gets, what if it doesn't get any better than this? And it really challenged me to, to think through this idea. Where is my hope? What is actually true about who God is and how he's working in life? Because when I think about an American version of this problem is we, are, we have very Western eyes and very Western minds. We live in a world of abundance. But I, I think about this text about the storms of life, and I think, what, what would you tell a Christian in, in the Ukraine right now? What would you tell the Christian in Nigeria right now? North Korea or China? Because there's a really good chance their situation is not getting better. So where is their hope? We cannot have a different message to the American Christians and the North Korean Christians. The gospel is the same, so what is true? Here's what is true. Your situation, or a better situation, is not your savior. A better situation is not your savior, because there's always gonna be another situation. And so we cling tight to the one that is immovable and unchangeable, and his name is Jesus. He says, I will be with you in the valley of the shadow of death. I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, I am the rock. Go Google this. I did this yesterday. Go Google. How many times does the Bible refer to God or Jesus as the rock? Blow your mind. He is the God of the rock, the refuge that protects us and that we hide in, in the middle of the storm. John 16, 33 says, I have, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me, not in a situation, Not in a better circumstance. I have told you these things so that in me, Jesus Christ, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, the mystery of our faith is that Jesus is bigger and better and doing more than you can possibly imagine. And he will use even the storms to draw you closer to him, give you a peace that this world cannot offer in the midst of the storm. But the realities of the storm and the trials of life are that they will reveal what your foundation is made of. When the storms come, your foundation will be revealed. You'll run to it. Another reality of the storms is that before the storm hits, the wise man and the fool's house look the same. 
And sometimes the fool's house looks even better. They got a better photographer. They know how to use Photoshop better. But when the storm hits, the foundation is revealed. So don't get caught up in comparing your life to someone else's. You cling to Jesus. So when the storms come, your house is not destroyed with a great crash. The last reality of these storms is you can't prepare for the storm during the storm. Prepare now. Build the foundation now. Cling to Jesus now. When you're in the midst of the storms and trials of life is a terrible time to build your theology. Because the storms are chaotic. The storms are crazy. They're frightening. You don't know what's up from down. Because if I had formed my theology in the midst of my parents' cancer diagnosis back to back, I would have thought God does not care. He is unaware. I'm on my own. But I'd done the building. I had done the reading. And I know who God is. And I know how he sees trials. So the similarities are that they both experience the storm. Don't ever believe any pastor or author or friend that says if you follow Jesus, you'll get whatever you want. That he wants a bigger house for you and a better job and a higher paycheck. That is the, that's prosperity gospel from the pit of hell. Because the savior in that situation is the situation, not Jesus. The difference here is that one house collapsed and one did not. That's the difference. Now let me speak to those of you this, tonight that you are in the storm right now. Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe you walk through these doors because you're like, my life is crazy town. I am angry at God. When you said that, Andy, amen to that. Maybe you don't feel close to God. You don't feel his, his presence. You don't feel that peace yet. Maybe you're in it right now. The wind is blowing and the rain is pounding. Here's what I wanna tell you. Number one, it is okay to, feel, to be in a storm and it feel like a storm. I just told you I got five kids. When the wind blows and the lightning strikes, they go to one place in the midst of their fear and their trepidation, they jump in bed with mom and dad. They go to dad and they go to mom because that's all they know to do because the storm feels like a storm. It's disorienting, it's confusing, it's chaotic, it's fearful. Maybe it even seems like it's never ending, but our feelings, here's the truth, our feelings in the midst of storms may change depending on the severity of the storm. We may feel chaotic, we may feel disoriented, we may feel fearful, but our feelings do not change the reality of who God is. He is the rock. He is our refuge. And so I wanna encourage you, go read Mark chapter four. The disciples are out on a boat. This huge storm comes up and they are literally freaking out. And they're not freaking out because they want a better situation. They're freaking out because they don't want to die. <laughs> they're freaking out. And they run to the back of the boat because that's where Jesus is doing what? Sleeping in the middle 
of the storm. You ever wonder why Jesus can sleep in the middle of the storm? Because he knows that he is capable and what he's about to do is calm the storm. So I wanna encourage you, if you are in the storm, do what the disciples did. Just go to Jesus with your tears. Go to Jesus with your freak out. Go to Jesus with your, your anxiety. Whatever it is, go to Jesus. And Jesus stood up and said, be calm. And it calmed me. He said, I forgot this part. They even asked Jesus, don't you care about us? Do you, do you not care if we die? Doesn't that feel what storms feel like sometimes? God, do you not care? Do you not know the desires of my heart? Do you not care? And Jesus says, calm, where is your faith? Because they had put their faith in a better situation, not in the Savior. So go to Jesus, go to his word, go to his people. Maybe for you tonight, that's our prayer team at the end. Maybe you need to go to some of his people and say, I'm in the storm, I need prayer. And let God's people surround you. Jesus is the foundation that we need and actually want because he is the rock that is unchangeable and immovable when the storms of life come. And so before those storms come, build your foundation on Christ. Go to Jesus. Start laying that foundation of faith. So quickly back to my house to solve this foundation problem that we came across. After we asked all the questions, after we did all the research, we had to call a company. And we had to get what they call peers put under the house. Basically, they're, they're peers, like a dock, peers, right? They had to dig deep holes. They had to dig and dig until they found what they were looking for. You know what they were looking for? Bedrock. Because the soil in Oklahoma has a lot of clay in it. And that clay shifts and changes, which causes the cracks in the house. And so they dug a deep, deep hole. I believe if I remember right, there's four of them, two on each corner of the back of the house. And they dug deep and they put these metal rods down until they hit the rock. And they said, all right, now we can make this house firm. And so that's what I wanna challenge you with tonight. Are you willing to dig deep? and to figure out what is your life founded on. If you were in a job interview and they asked you, what do you found your life on? What's the foundation of your life? What would you say? What would your Instagram say your life is founded on? What do your prayers, wishes, and hopes, and dreams say that your life is founded on? So what do we do with this? We're gonna close with this. We're gonna give you four so what's. If you're new tonight, this is how we end every week. In fact, this is the title of our podcast, So What? Because we wanna take God's word and make it applicable. I wanna ask you three questions and then give you one encouragement, challenge, whatever you wanna call it. This is inspection time, right? We found some cracks. We need to call the inspector and we need to inspect. We need to look, dig deep. My first question is this. Ask yourself, am I hearing and putting into practice the words of Jesus? Or am I just attending a bunch of churchy, Jesus-y stuff? Am I hearing and putting into action the words of Jesus? And if not, ask yourself this hard question. Why not? Do you not trust him? Is he not trustworthy? Do you not believe that he loves and cares for you and has best for you? Ask the hard questions. Number two, 
Am I intentionally and carefully choosing the foundation of my present and eternal life? Are you intentionally and carefully looking at your foundation saying, you know what, I want a foundation that's good for today and for eternity. And Jesus says, I am the rock for today and for eternity. Number three, if you're in that storm, what have the storms revealed about your foundation? Maybe what, what, what does it reveal that your hope is actually in? What have the storms shown you that you're actually relying on and trusting for security, both now and for eternity? So those are my three questions, and then the last one is this. I wanna encourage you and challenge you, turn to Jesus before, during, and after the storm. Turn to Jesus. When the storm's raging, jump in bed with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and let him comfort you and walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. Not just in the storm, before the storm. Go to Jesus. In the midst of the storm, go to Jesus. And after the storm, go to Jesus. So here at the gathering, we like to close every talk with just a little bit of time to give you to just reflect, pray, process. So we're gonna leave these on the screens. I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're just gonna give you 120 seconds, two minutes. It's the longest two minutes of your week, I promise. You, you don't know this kind of silence, right? But it's good. It's good for us to quiet our hearts. Yeah, put your notes away, close your Bibles, and I want you to meet with the Lord. Ask him to show you what you are putting your foundation of your life on. Ask yourself the hard questions. 120 seconds, let me pray. And after tonight, as always, our prayer teams will be available up front and over here on the side if we can come alongside you tonight. Let's pray. God, I wanna thank you for your word. God, thank you for just your instructions, Jesus. You, you pull no punches. You tell us this life is going to be full of trial. There is going to be difficulty. But you invite us not to a better situation. You don't invite us to a better circumstance. You invite us to yourself. You say, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, for I have overcome the world. So God, whether we are in a storm, we're out of a storm, or maybe some storm's on the horizon, God, I pray that you would you help us, as we sang earlier, make room for you to move in, and that you would build the house. And instead of asking what kind of house we wanna build, we would start asking God, what kind of life do you want me to have? God, would you turn our hearts and our minds away from ourselves and onto you, that you would be glorified in all that we do. We praise things in your name, amen.